You know, no one knows how you feel as well as you do. No one understands how your body works on an intricate level as well as you. Um, you know, even when you're seeing a nutritional therapist and the consultation might be as long as two hours, you know, even still, you're going to know what works best for you. And I think we've just lost that sense of, you know, really tapping into how our body is a feeling. That's what I mean by, you know, you are your own best doctor. You know, don't believe everything you hear, you know, question everything. And, you know, let's, let's take back the responsibility for our own health. Let's make those lifestyle choices that really make a difference. What's up, people? It's Tom here, back with another episode of Second Mind, the show that empowers you to be your greatest self and create a better world. In this episode, I'm in conversation with Grace Kingswell, a forward-thinking functional nutrition therapist promoting the healing power of food. Through her functional nutrition practice, Grace works to treat and heal the root causes of health issues, guiding her patients on complex chronic issues such as SIBO, thyroid disorders, gut imbalances, eczema and psoriasis. She's also gained qualifications in breathwork and acupuncture, which she uses to help her patients improve their health with a holistic approach. I really enjoyed talking to Grace in the episode because she shares how her own ill health and healing process sparked her journey into functional nutrition therapy. We discuss the often unrealized intuition that we have inside each one of us to guide ourselves on our own journey to better well-being and health, laying out some useful tips for developing a better connection to our bodily signals. Grace talks about some of the common nutrition misconceptions that cause people to make poor health choices and gives her pointers for constructing your optimal diet. We find out Grace's opinion on the consumption of animal products and discuss the importance of mindfully engaging in the sensory experience of eating, plus a whole lot more. Grace has a wealth of knowledge and it was a pleasure to chat to someone so passionate about their mission. And I really hope the conversation encourages you to view your relationship with food and your connection to your body from a new perspective. Enjoy the podcast and peace. All right, Grace, welcome to the Second Mind podcast. I am so glad that you're here. How are you doing today? I'm great, thanks, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to be here. Um, just to start things off, uh, I know that you uh, say that you're working in the uh, functional nutrition therapy space. Um, please, could you explain to the listeners, for those who don't know, uh, what that means and how you uh, got into this area of work? Yeah, sure. So um, nutritional therapy is kind of much as it sounds in a sense, um, although there is a distinction to be made between a nutritionist and a nutritional therapist. Um, the functional element is that I work um, I work functionally, which basically means that I follow the Institute for Functional Medicine principles, guidelines, methodology, um, coaching mechanisms, matrix, um, in the sense that I am evidence-based and data-driven. So I do a lot of um, functional, what we call functional testing with patients. So that could be anything from bloods to a stool analysis to a hormonal profile. Um, and then I use that evidence and that data to treat someone um, as a whole, as a whole system, rather than just as um, one specific organ, for example. So, you know, in orthodox medicine, if you go to the doctor with um, a skin rash or bad eczema, they'll likely give you a topical cream to treat the symptoms of that eczema, i.e. the cream will stop the itching, um, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas uh, working more functionally means that I am always interesting, interested in what is the root cause here? You know, what is causing the eczema and can we treat that? So is it an unhappy gut? Is it dysbiosis? Is it stress? Is it, you know, dietary allergies? Um, 
and immune triggers. So the treatment in itself is holistic I, and natural, I guess, is, is, is the correct word. And I use, you know, diet, obviously, being a nutritional therapist, food is a huge element of what I do. And, um, you know, supplementation and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. It's, it's not about, you know, giving one pill to fix, you know, a chemical formula to fix an issue. It's about working over a, a longer period of time to really get to the root cause of what is causing someone um, a problem. Yeah. And was uh, it quite an organic journey for you getting into that space? What kind of like piqued your interest in it in the first mm. instance? Yeah, I mean, my interest was was peaked because I have suffered from really ill health for the majority of my life. Um, mm. And I uh, went to see a number of these, um, you know, functional medicine, naturopathy, nutritional therapists um, in my own health journey. So, I mean, I, I guess winding back the clock from there, even before that, I've always been absolutely fascinated in the healing properties of food you know my mum brought me up on a really healthy diet um, but it was always uh, seemed like such an injustice to me because I ate really well in comparison to all my friends at school or whatever and yet I was poorly and sick and tired and I didn't know what was wrong with me but I knew that it was something and um, so I always really latched on to food as, you know, oh, it must be because I ate that or it must be, you know, I must be feeling tired because I've had too much sugar or I should try cutting out gluten. And, you know, I, I had so much stuff go on kind of health wise and I was so ingrained in understanding basically my body and understanding why and, you know, getting to the bottom of it all. Um, and I'd seen a traditional Chinese medicine doctor since I was about 16 um, and then when I was kind of um, just post university, I think was the first time I went to go and see um, a functional medicine, uh, nutritional therapy practitioner. And I was just fascinated. And I kind of just knew that I really wanted to study myself and, you know, be able to help other people in the same way that she helped me to understand, you know, how my body was functioning. Mm. Um, so just took it from there, really. And I just learned more and more as I've gone and um yeah I've just always been obsessed with with health and food and everything to do with that it must have been really empowering to to have assimilated this new knowledge after going to these specialists and and learning some things for yourself and actually feeling more in charge of your health and thinking actually mm. I can influence the outcomes um through the choices that I'm making and through different strategies you're seeing like almost a new dimension to life I guess yeah, well, I mean, it was frustrating because I actually always made really good choices. You know, I was never the kind of teenager that went out drinking or partying or, you know, I was always trying to nurture my body and I was always eating really good food and, you know, organic food. And it annoyed me that I still wasn't feeling great. So, mm. yes, it did help me to understand my body, but also made me realise that, you know, there's a lot we need to learn and, and actually doing um something like nutritional therapy is it's a lot of science it's a lot of you know biochemistry and you know figuring out how the body works and learning about all the different organ systems so it wasn't until I kind of mastered that that I really began to kind of unravel stuff but I mean even then a healing journey I mean it's taken me years to to kind of get to where I am now which I would say is kind of 80% of the way there um mm. you know when you're when you are treating someone in this way and you're not just giving them um you know a prescription medication that is guaranteed to do a certain job um it's it's a really up and down journey and you know you can be feeling great and then all your symptoms come back and it's so demoralizing and you kind of have to pick yourself up and start again so yeah um yeah it's take it's been a it's a bit a long old ride that's for sure but i'm sure the in a in a way also it's a very natural thing that a lot of young people have to go through about learning a connection with their own bodies and mm. everybody has the variability in their own biology and some people can seemingly coast through that many issues and some people really oh, go yeah. through the ringer and mm. uh looking at everybody else's choices thinking well they're making like observably worse choices than i am yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's really unfair um yeah but but it's it's all part of the learning process and i'm sure it's it's uh, 
gifted you some really useful tools that you can use for the rest of your life also yeah definitely and I think you know it's also important and something that I've learned you know having trained and and you know being in practice now as a clinician is that yes of course there are people and you know friends of mine for example make much worse choices than I I did when we were growing up but knowing what I know now you know there's always that is always going to have an effect you know there there is always going to be some response in the body to what you're feeding it the environment that you're putting it in you know your stress levels your exposure mm. to natural light your exposure to artificial light um and you know now i don't feel the annoyance that i used to like i'm you know i know that every choice i make is a really good one and of course i slip off the wagon all the time but i completely appreciate that i am kind of protecting my health for the later years because just because someone's absolutely fine growing up you know and abusing their body all the time doesn't mean that it's always going to be that way so I think that's really given me a really great perspective and made me appreciate the journey and the struggles that I've been on if that makes sense yeah absolutely and in a in a way the same kind of pattern of someone's attitude to their health that might happen you know let's say if they go binge drinking and they mm. are substituting almost the well-being of the next day for the pleasure of now. And um, I think in, in many ways, we're doing that on a life cycle scale as well. So the choices that we're making now about the food that we're eating, uh, you know, are we living as naturally as possible with few chemicals? Those mm. things um, may well come back to influence our health on a much larger scale than we can imagine you know in like 50 years time and as humans yeah. we're we're pretty bad at concerning ourselves with things that are going to happen in 50 years time we've got no comprehension of it mm, definitely um I lost you for a bit there because of the connection but I got the gist um yeah. and yeah I couldn't agree with you more you know everything everything we do has a consequence so in terms of our health so yeah it's really important to be thinking long term mm. And I was listening to your podcast the other day, State of Mind. Um, we can give that a plug later on for sure. But uh, I, I lifted something from it that I, I really liked. Um, it was your tagline, you are your own best doctor. Um, and I, it really resonated with me because I think that the way that society is constructed now, the healthcare system, the way that we're living, is that we quite often outsource our r responsibility of our health. Um, and, you know, it's great to... Be able to have experts to help people i'm definitely not uh poo-pooing that but the i think there's something really valuable in being able to feel empowered and taking charge of your own health as much as you can um and in a way it's also echoing a lot of things in society that we've outsourced now you know we don't grow our own food anymore um and we're, we're quite disconnected to a lot of things so i was uh, just i just wanted to ask what you meant by you are your own best doctor and why do you think it has value for people? Yeah, so it's really great that you picked up on that, Tom, in my podcast, because um, I really do think that the responsibility, you know, we are all handing over responsibility these days for our health. Um, you know, quite often that's in a, you know, a 10 minute consultation um, with a doctor and they're kind of expected to understand your full medical history, make a diagnosis, and then, um, you know, suggest a treatment in, in those 10 minutes. And if you're going to your doctor or whoever with something as simple as back pain, and you know, you don't have a, a pre-diagnosed condition like arthritis or ankylosing spondylitis, then, you know, we're really talking about lifestyle because, you know, that's the onus then is on you to, to get up more, to stretch more, to move more you know, we, we should be seeking out um, treatments for ourselves, you know, taking responsibility for ourselves, you know, no one knows how you feel as well as you do. No one understands how your body works on an intricate level as well as you. Um, you know, even when you're seeing a nutritional therapist and the consultation might be as long as two hours, you know, even still, um, you're going to know what works best for you. And I think we've just lost that sense of you know really tapping into how our body is a feeling um so i guess that's what i mean by you know you are your own best doctor 
um, you know, don't believe everything you hear, you know, question everything. Um, and, you know, let's, let's take back the responsibility for our own health. Let's make those lifestyle choices that really make a difference. Um, yeah. Does that explain it? I think, I think it's a really good concept to get on board with. Mm. Yeah. I, I think it is a really empowering thing for people to connect with and it would be fantastic. You know, I'm sure there are lots of really amazing health professionals already treating uh, how they are working in this way. But I think the perfect way when you are engaging with someone else giving you health advice is that it's a partnership rather than than like a, a lecture in terms of mm. them, you know, with all the knowledge and, and then telling you this is the plan you're going to follow. It seems like a partnership is the best way to look at things. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's two way street. And actually any healing journey that's, um, you know, done in this way where you will have to make either quite significant changes to your lifestyle or your diet or, you know, even just the way you think about health and nutrition, it requires quite a lot of um, input from you. So, you know, I can say this and I can give you that supplement, but at the end of the day, um, it, it's, yeah, it's on you to kind of make it happen. And I think that's also quite a hard concept for people too, because again, we are so used to just kind of going to the doctor and getting a cream or getting a tablet and it's just expecting the issue to go away. Mm. And we are, you know, it's a great point that you made about the, you know, uh, uh, say a, a GP only getting 10 minutes with somebody when you're actually in your body 24 hours a day, you know, there's, there's no escape. You're always there yeah. and you're always yeah. experiencing what's going on. Uh, but the irony is, is that people are actually, they can be very disconnected to how their body's mm. feeling. And mm. I was wondering if you had any advice for how people can best connect with that inner health wisdom that I'm sure is there, but mm. maybe they haven't got a strong connection to actually hear what they need. Yeah, I think, I think actually slowing down is the best form of self-diagnosis because you know, the issue with the way that we live our lives these days, although not so much at the moment, because we're all in coronavirus lockdown, but generally speaking, you know, we rush from one thing to the other. You know, we wake up in the morning, the kids are screaming, you have a cup of coffee. So you're already spiking your nervous system with some adrenaline and some cortisol. You know, you're on the tube, you rush to work, um, you know, go, go, go at the office. You've got all this artificial light hitting you on your screen, you get a bit tired, you have another coffee. You know, at no point do we think, okay, I feel tired, therefore I should rest or drink water or eat a nourishing meal. It's more like I'm tired, I'll have caffeine or I'll have sugar. You know, there's always something, you know, we're very clever as humans of finding something to kind of stop the gap and fill the void. And mm. actually a lot of the time what we need to do is just slow down and create the space and give ourselves the time to sit with the feelings and think, you know, how, you know, wake up in the morning and don't just rush to put the kettle on, but actually think, how do I feel this morning? Am I tired? Am I thirsty? Am I stressed? Am I sad? Am I, am I happy? Do I have the energy to go and do that workout or should I just go for a gentle walk? You know, we, I think we place so much um, pressure on ourselves to constantly achieve when actually we can get so much value from just slowing down and just being a little bit more connected to the earth. You know, maybe it's going outside and taking your shoes off first thing and just feeling that connection to the ground and the soil and, you know, taking, yeah, taking the time to do a few deep breaths and just realizing that, yep, today I feel a bit crap. So I'm just going to take it easy. I'm not going to drink two coffees and go and smash out a workout, you know? So I think slowing down is definitely a big a big factor um and if i had to say something else it would probably be just kind of just disengaging a little bit from the general wellness dialogue so you know not believing everything that you see on social media not assuming that the diet that that influences on that you follow is going to work for you you know not mm. assuming that veganism is right for you because it's right for everyone else and right for the planet you know actually what your body needs might be incredibly different from someone else's and you know that deserves a lot of thought and, and consideration because ultimately we all want to feel energetic and happy and healthy right you know you don't want to go about your life mm. in a state of chronic illness 
Absolutely. I mean, talking mm. about the information that we're getting and the, you know, like people who are blogging and the food industry, what do you think are common misconceptions about healthy diet choices that you see commonly yeah, in think, society? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Tom, because <laughs> there are so, I think there are so many. The first thing to say is obviously, you know, you are your own best doctor. So you will know what works for your body and what doesn't. Um, but probably the, the biggest thing for me is the sugar. And, you know, we know that type 2 diabetes is absolutely rife within our population. We also know that so many more of us than we think are in a pre-diabetic state. And, you know, we're still, we're still eating excessive amounts of carbohydrates and, and sugars. Now, of course, if you feel absolutely fantastic on a bowl of overnight oats with a lot of fruit and some maple syrup and some chopped dates and some peanut butter first thing, and you know, after eating that, your energy levels are sustained throughout the morning, you don't have any peaks and troughs and whatever, and you don't need a little snack to get you through till lunchtime, then, you know, fair game to you. But for most people, that's not the case. And actually science dictates that that's not the case. So I think for me, the main thing is, is this whole kind of, if it's um, refined sugar-free, it's healthy. You know, there are so many people on Instagram and I'm not gonna list names that are peddling um, a healthier version of a Twix bar or, you know, salted caramel mm. this is packed full of dates and sugar and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it's still sugar at the end of the day and it still will spike your blood sugar and it still will make you feel tired and it still will wreak havoc with your hormones and your gut health. And, you know, if I could change anything about the kind of social media space, it probably would be that. And, you know, what I would love to see is more people eating a protein rich breakfast, which is um, accompanied by lots of healthy fats and some vegetables, because fundamentally that is a fantastic way to start your day. Um, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of, a lot of it comes from the plant-based movement, which on a lot of levels I think is fantastic. You know, we all need to be eating more plants. We know for our gut health, that lots of different types of plant fibers um, is the way to you know, boost diversity in the gut and produce short chain fatty acids and all of that. But at the same time, um, you know, hum humble scrambled eggs and some avocado and some kale or something first thing in the morning, is just the most nutritious and, and in my view anyway, beneficial way that you can start your morning. So yeah, if it would, if it's one thing, it would be to kind of, disassociate from the breakfast Instagram dialogue, <laughs> the smoothie bowl dialogue. <laughs> it's all too easy to get drawn into it as well, because if you scroll through it Instagram, looks so nice. exactly, it's, it's, it's constructed in every way to make you want that. And all of these uh, meals have loads of color. They've been, they've been uh, beautifully photographed. It's really hard to not mm. really want after these things. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I will caveat this by saying, and actually I wrote a post this morning for my Patreon subscribers specifically on this breakfast conundrum. You know, I will caveat what I've just said by saying that, you know, as humans, we are hardwired for sugar. And when you're tired, like we often are when we wake up because we do live quite stressful lives. And, you know, there's a lot of things in our lifestyles that cause a lot of oxidative stress that we never used to have to deal with. Um, you know, it's, it is not, it's not uncommon to wake up feeling a little bit, a little bit tired. So of course the brain is a very clever thing and it says, okay, well, what I need now is glucose because, um, I'm tired and I don't want to feel this way. So, you know, myself included, you know, always wake up feeling like, oh, I'd love a coffee and a piece of sourdough with lots of, you know, sweet jam or a croissant or, you know, a big bowl of overnight oats with berries and all of, you know, berries aren't berries are fantastic for you but you get the idea mm. so it's it is really hard actually and um one thing i do with all my patients is i kind of challenge them to do seven days or even two weeks um just just changing their breakfast you know, just change it to a protein-based breakfast and that's a really simple thing to do that will really 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 positively impact your health getting those nutrients in first thing especially protein 
Um, so yeah, I think it's important to realize that, you know, no one is a, no one is a saint. And of course I often gravitate to sweeter things in the morning. It's, it's human not to, but, um, it's something just to bear in mind, I guess. Oh, that's a really useful practical tip, Grace. And I think it's, it's really empowering to give people a direction to go and say, actually start questioning why we do all these things. You know, everything mm. that about our food culture is constructed in a certain way. And you can just go through the day-to-day living, going along with that structure. But if things aren't working for you health-wise, there's nothing wrong with, with questioning all the aspects of your or diet and say, okay, why do I do this? And actually engaging in more conscious thought about it. Yeah, I think that's such a good, such a good um, way of looking at it is, you know, finding your why and questioning why. And, you know, it's like, obviously everyone in the world is eating avocado on toast. Hmm. So you feel you should too, but actually does it work for your body? And if not, just change it you know, try something different. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. And you mentioned veganism before, and I was going to mention animal products because they've been a huge mm. point of contention over the last few years. It's really come into the mainstream media. Uh, what's yeah. your view on the consumption of animal products? Is it healthy? Is it unhealthy? Where, where, what are we to do? Um, I probably upset a lot of people by saying this, but I am firmly on the animal products side, um, purely for the nutrient density, the bioavailability of nutrients and the accessibility. Um, you know, I, I would not be in the position of health that I am in today had I tried to complete my healing journey on a vegan diet. I'm, I'm not saying that it doesn't work for some people because clearly it does. You know, there are you know, if you are thriving on a plant-based diet, then, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to know you because you're not a person that's come to my clinic. But often what I see in clinic is that, you know, the people that come to me and are completely devoid of nutrients, they are tired, they are suffering with anxiety because they haven't got the right types of fats to, you know, have a healthy brain, are the ones that are kind of resolutely sticking to this plant-based diet. And whilst I, whilst I think that we should all be using meat as a condom meat rather than, you know, like a condiment <laughs> rather than yeah. the full, you know, it's not about a huge steak and a few vegetables. I'm saying it should be, you know, a lot of vegetables, but still have a bit of that really nutrient dense animal product. And, you know, like we were speaking before we came on air, Tom, I'm a really, really passionate um, environmentalist and, you know, I'm big into sustainability and I live my life, hopefully in a pretty sustainable way. So I will always choose grass-fed organic beef, for example. Um, and I, you know, I buy small amounts of it, but I don't, I don't, I don't deny my body the nutrients that I know is, are going to make me feel so good. Um, and, you know, things like choline that we get from eggs, you know, that is pregnant women are told to supplement choline because it's absolutely essential for brain development. And you just, can't get that in a vegan diet and you can't out supplement your way to good health either you know it's always for me it's always food first and supplements second mm. um so yeah i probably upset a lot of people with that with that view but um certainly in if someone's chronically ill then i would be wanting them to get you know that those healthy fats and those nutrients and those minerals and all of those things that we get from animal foods via their diet rather than giving them a supplement to kind of you know fill the gap but of course if you are on a plant-based diet and you're thriving and you've had your blood levels checked of um you know for nutrient deficiencies then i'm all for it but if it's not working for you then i would say don't be afraid to make some changes because you know fundamentally if we want to um protect the planet and and you know all of that good stuff we need to be healthy ourselves first because i know firsthand that if you are chronically sick all the time you haven't got the energy to think about anyone else apart from yourself yeah so you know in order to heal the planet we've got to heal ourselves so i think yeah it's it's, it's an important point for me definitely yeah that's that's extremely valuable and th there really is you know some people 
they really have to, you know, coming back to you are your own best doctor. If they are trying a certain diet and they're not feeling good, um, mm. it's really difficult to separate, you know, what's best for me. And also the big ideologies that come with diet, especially there's, there's big diet wars now where people get into these camps and communities. And yeah. that's, that's not a comment on veganism. It's a comment on all of these diet groups. And we mm. are going through a, a time when we are sort of in, in a way in terms of the, the diet world, we're splitting into these smaller groups and we're listening less and less to what other people have to say. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you, you know, you've got the carnival um, movement happening now as well. And I'm I just take a really balanced approach. You know, I, I want a little of everything in my diet um, because I truly believe, you know, as humans, we are omnivores. So I personally am, would not be restricting um you know massive food groups from my diet i just take a little from from everything that i know is going to make me feel good um and like i said i view i view meat as you know not necessarily the main event um but i like to have some of it um it makes me feel really good really nourished so yeah i think it's just about for me personally anyway it's just about a balanced approach mm, that's really valuable do you think the uh so results positive results can come out of um, sort of non-scientific findings. Maybe things aren't proven in studies, um, but there's lots mm. of things like like cultural knowledge around diet. Do you think that in today's society, they're too quickly dismissed with a lack of, say, scientific studies, or maybe it's not super well researched, people just immediately pass it to one side? Yeah, I think... I think so. And I think, you know, a perfect example of this is the celery juice thing that's kind of almost had its day now, but was massive craze uh, like six months ago. Um, and that really divided people because on the one hand, you had the nutritionists and the medical doctors and the med medical profession saying, this is absolute nonsense. Um, you cannot cure all of your health issues by drinking celery juice. And then on the other hand, you had the anecdotal evidence from people that had been doing it for months and months and felt so much better. Now, of course, it could be, it could easily be a placebo, mm. but when it's something as harmful as vegetable juice, crying out loud, <laughs> then, you know, what is the harm in trying it? Because like I said, and like you've said, you know, if, if we're taking this view of you are your own best doctor, if something's working for you, but there's no medical study to back it up, it's fine. Just do it anyway. You know, mm. the only evidence you need is your own body. If you have terrible IBS and you, you drank celery juice every morning for a week and your symptoms were vastly reduced, why wouldn't you keep doing it? Um, I think, yeah, I think, you know, all of those old wives tales as well, quite often there's a lot of truth in them and taking a really holistic approach and just tapping into how you're feeling and, you know, trying new things. I, I never think that's a bad idea. It's all just expanding your knowledge at the end of the day. Um, medical studies are great, but quite often they're done under conditions of artificial light, which is not the environment that humans have evolved to live in at the end of the day you know most of these trials and studies are done in laboratories where we have isolated the blue spectrum of light whereas um you know humans have evolved living under the sun and the sun's rays where we've got infrared we've got near infrared far infrared we've got purple red wavelengths green wavelengths um and you know that that all plays a massive part so for me personally i mean i love the data and i love what comes out of you know medical trials and and, and, you know, all of that. But at the same time, I would, again, take it with a pinch of salt and just listen to your body and, and figure out for yourself what works for you and what doesn't. Mm. And we were talking earlier about sort of that individual variability about people's diets. Um, would you say then if there was one perfect diet, it would be balance? Yeah, I would. I would. I would say it would just be balance um, and it would be um, you know, the perfect diet, there is never one perfect diet for all of us. It's going to be absolutely individual to the person. So mm. yeah, whatever works for you. And I think there's also something there to explore around the different phases of our lives. And actually, 
what we need will change over time. I mean, even as the seasons go through the year, you could argue that we might need different things nutritionally as as the mm. uh, the year progresses. So it's it, you know, as we were talking about earlier, maintaining that connection to your inner inner doctor um, is, yeah, is something yeah. that's going to really pay its dividends. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I think, you know, we have to look at what's in season and we have to understand as well what that means for us on a cellular level. So, for example, in the winter in the UK, in terms of um, if we look at sugar, for example, in terms of sweet foods, we pretty much just have apples and pears in season at that time. Uh, you come round into summer and you've got some strawberries and raspberries and berries. And if I'm honest, that's kind of the extent of the sugar that we should be having because we have evolved to naturally eat those foods at that time of year. So if you're eating, and again, I want to caveat this by saying that, you know, everything needs to be taken with a little pinch of salt. We can't live in like super hard and fast rules all the time. But for example, if you're having, you know, four or five bananas in a smoothie bowl in the depths of winter, then that is not speaking to your body on a cellular level. That is not what your body is expecting, that amount of sugar at that time of year. Mm. And therefore, you know, is it really going to work for you and provide you with the best um, nutrients? You know, say you started your day with, um, you know, greens that were in season, um, eggs, or, you know, even something like, again, I'm going to get hate for this, but something like liver is so nutrient dense. Um, and you know, it, again, seasonal food. So it, it is a consideration, you know, bananas don't grow in the UK. Mm. Avocados don't grow in the UK. What do we have? And let's eat that because from an evol evolutionary perspective, um, our bodies are programmed to absorb those nutrients better, to put them to better use. And ultimately, you know, we'll feel better at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, I guess seasonal seasonal eating is a is a big one for me. Um, and w like you're saying, we lose touch with that completely when we shop in supermarkets because um, you, food is flown in from Kenya and South America, and um, you know, getting back to the farmers market and seeing what they've got available is a is a really good way of um, boosting your health. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mentioning the food landscape there, but. Uh, the, the, the world out there, how we're consuming food. When you see the current food landscape, what do you see personally? Um, in terms of, what, explain what you mean by landscape. Our, our societal relationship to food, um, the, mm. the way that our system is, uh, how our system is making it easy for us to consume certain foods and maybe not others. Yeah. I think, um, well, certainly we have a lot less connection of where our food comes from. Um, but I think there is also really good things happening with the kind of regenerative agriculture movement and, you know, getting back to the farmer's market and talking to the growers and talking to the producers and, you know, really understanding the cost of producing that food from a, you know, labor perspective and environmental perspective. Um, and also, you know, one thing I really hope is is gaining momentum as well is that we're appreciating the value of organic produce a lot more, mm. you know, food that hasn't been grown with with chemical fertilizers, um, because, you know, the, the kind of quality of our soil um, is directly linked to the quality of like our microbiome, for example, and our gut health. Mm. So I think, you know, the landscape is is changing for the better. But I think the vast majority of us still just see food coming from a supermarket in a you know clear plastic bag, um, which is sad, but hopefully changing. Yeah, and as much as that health connection needs to be maintained inside, it also needs to be maintained looking in the outside world as well. You were mentioning like soil health and things um, that are, you know, they've been studied by scientists for a long time, but now it's coming into mainstream conversation more and more. And we are starting to really, as a society, hopefully understand that the health of our environment is the health of us because we, you know, we are, yeah. we are nature um, and, and, mm. and nature sustains us and we, we sustain nature. So there's this 
um, mm. uh, utterly bound relationship that we have. And uh, it's it's uh, really important to observe that. Um, yeah, totally. And I think someone that um, talks about this really eloquently is um, my friend and fellow podcast guest, actually, Tony Riddle, the natural lifestylist. And he always talks about it. Um, he says, you know, it's the what we're cons- it, it should be the ecosystem, not the ego system. And I think that sums it up really well. Yeah, I like that. I might have to steal that at some point. <laughs> um, so if someone on a personal level has an, an imbalance in their relationship with food, are there any like telltale signs that they could pick up on um, about, you know, that they might need to make changes? Um, well, firstly, define what you mean by relationship with food. Um, so if they were, say someone, every time they come home from work, they have a very stressful day at work, very stress- stressful job. Mm. Every time they get home from work, they always start to open the cupboards and they look for mm-hmm. what's in there, like maybe for yeah. a sugary snack. Um, yeah you know would you class that as a balanced relationship with food because it seems like a lot of people as uh, Mm. especially with our relationship to hunger it seems like our relationship to hunger is slightly out of its natural rhythms yeah i think that's a pretty good way of putting it and i would probably class that relationship you've just described as totally normal behavior for 99 percent of the population um because we are all very good, myself included, um, at using food to fill an emotional hole, um, whether that's stress eating, anxiety, um, you know, feeling low and needing a bit of a pick me up, um, or being bored as well is a huge one. And again, I think in that situation, it would be about coming back to the whole mindfulness element of eating and, you know, the gratitude and, you know, making sure that um, when you sit down to have a meal, you're smelling it and you're salivating and you're chewing it and you're really feeling that it's nourishing your body rather than just shoving stuff down. And, you know, 10 minutes later, not really knowing what you ate because you did it in such a hurry and you were so stressed. And again, it's, it's pausing before you do that. So if, if that is your behavior, when you come home from work, then what can you do for 10 minutes as soon as you get in before you open those cupboards? You know, the brain is an amazing thing. It doesn't take that long to rewire pathways for different habits. Um, so, you know, say, say that is your normal behavior, but instead for a week or two weeks, the first thing you do when you come home is you do 10 minutes of breath work or you do 10 minutes of, you know, sun salutations of downward dogs or you take a shower and you do some deep breathing in the shower, you know, anything to switch you into a more parasympathetic state where your nervous system isn't kind of go, 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 I think would be really helpful in the case of some, yeah, in in that scenario that you suggested. Um, My other thought when you said unhealthy relationship to food is usually I use that in the sense of either, you know, uh, yet someone that potentially undernourishes their body. which is not my area of expertise and actually if I do have patients that I feel like that is is an issue then I will I will refer to another practitioner but again yeah I think in the case of um you know stress eating and and snacking which is something we all do um yeah I think it's like taking the time to pause and you know doing picking up another habit to try and kind of rewire the brain um before you kind of go for the cookie jar that makes yeah. sense and we, we have all been there like i think emotional eating is something that almost anyone in western God, society yeah, especially is at the moment with. yeah especially at the moment with with everything that's happened with coronavirus and you know, we're all at home all the time and it's so easy to snack and i've been eating a lot more than i would usually but i think you know you've got to be kind to yourself at the same time you know there's there's no way forward from whatever emotional eating it is you're doing if you don't have any compassion towards yourself so Mm. something i've been talking a lot about again on my patreon subscription is that um you know we've got to strive for nearly perfect instead of perfect you know let's be sane instead of saintly for example you know so at a time like this when stresses are high don't say to yourself oh i 
I, I cannot snack. I'm not going to eat between meals. You know, instead, can you swap out the biscuits and the chocolate for some carrots and some hummus? You know, let's be kinder to ourselves. Let's make sensible choices rather than being so hard on ourselves because it's, it's very hard to come back from a position of really hating yourself for eating what you've just eaten. And it's not a nice feeling. So yeah, compassion is, is important. I think mm. there's definitely a strong, you know, if you have eaten that piece of cake that, you know, you shouldn't have, it was uh, mm. tempting on the side of the counter, really just, hating yourself afterwards is, is not going to help anything and if anything it will then spur on more emotional eating and bad food choices so it's yeah totally. having compassion is something that's there. so valuable yeah um I, I mean that's really sparked up something in me about you know our food culture we very often talk about what we're eating the food that we're eating but actually how we're eating food can be as influential as what we're eating. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. so things that like like stress and are we you know sat around the table uh, with people having dinner as you know a family or a friend group, um, you know that that I'm sure has has a big influence on how our body sees this sort of food data coming in because it's all about the chemicals that are going around our body at that particular time, right? Yeah, hugely. I mean, it's all it all comes down to the signaling um, from the brain. So, you know, going back right to the beginning is so crucial. So, for example, you know, it's like a domino effect. So if you aren't ready. To, so, you know, when we cook food, sorry, I'm being like really long winded. When we cook food, we often smell it. And those smells, they start the production of saliva in the mouth. And in the saliva, we have amylase. Um, and we have other digestive enzymes. Now, if we don't get that going, then of course, digestion isn't going to be as thorough. And the same thing goes for something as simple as chewing our food. I mean, I talk about this with every patient and it sounds so basic, but most of us don't chew our food properly. Mm. And, you know, if you are not chewing your food and let's, let's call, um, you know, signaling to the brain, the first domino, i.e., are you about to eat? Are you ready to receive the food? Are you grateful for the food? Are you excited to eat it? Um, and chewing the second domino. If those couple of dominoes at the beginning of, of the pile aren't in place, then the whole of the system that comes after that simply isn't going to function well enough. Um, you know, the only place we have teeth in our body is our mouths. We do not have teeth in our stomach. So it's inconceivable to me that we don't chew our food as much as we should um you know we should never eat rushed or standing up and again i caveat this all with the fact that i've done all of these things <laughs> but um you know it really it, that that is something so fundamental that will make a huge difference to your health you know your food should be liquid when it leaves your mouth and if you were to open your mouth you wouldn't want to be able to see what you'd put in it, if that makes sense. It's a bit of a gross image, but it works. So, you know, if you haven't um, chewed thoroughly, then it's much more likely that undigested mo molecules of protein will be coming in contact with your immune system, which can cause, you know, allergies, mm. um, you know, flare-ups, you know, skin rashes, you know, histamine liberation. It's so simple, but Again, it will make you, if you are someone that struggles with, you know, slight sensitivity to gluten or dairy, for example, um, then, you know, try, try chewing it more. Um, and actually, you might find that those bloating symptoms are vastly improved just because of the fact that you've broken it down into its constituent parts before it's come into contact with your immune system in your gut. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. How you eat is just as important as what you eat and also when you eat too. So, you know, giving yourself. Mm a big gap in between meals in which your digestive system can properly process the meal you just had and it can rest and um yeah timing of meals is just as important too yeah when you think about it our poor digestive system in terms of like the the systems in our body that's the one that is with our modern lifestyles it's just constantly on the go because we're constantly popping stuff in there and it really doesn't have a, a chance to rest and then when the stuff does come in it's 
in in maybe a very stressed state you know you can imagine how many people living in london in you know corporate jobs they get a 20 minute lunch break 15 minute lunch break and they put in a sandwich and a packet of crisps the classic meal deal in about 15 minutes you know there's there's not even uh near enough chewing in that time to to get that meal down it's a, a really like unnatural way to live i feel so, Grace, if there was a health Bible being put together uh, and you got to edit or write and edit the chapter <laughs> on food, what are some good basic ground rules that you'd put in for healthy eating that people could use? Oh, good question. So, well, firstly, I'd like to say that if there was a health Bible being written, that actually before food, should come something as simple as light exposure, natural daylight. Um, so that being said, if I was just to talk about food, um, it would be, um, I don't know, eat enough, but not too much. Uh, eat mm. in season, um, eat good quality sources of protein and lots of vegetables, not too much sugar. But above all, you know, eat what works for your body. And um, yeah, aim for nutrient dense foods, I guess. It's hard because food for me in the kind of picture of, you know, doing what I do, food is obviously important, but it's not the be all and end all. It's not the whole picture. So, mm. you know, a good diet is great, but if you haven't got the environment right or the light, you know, right, uh, the stress, all of that stuff, then, you know, you can have the best diet in the world, but if you're stressed, you're still going to be unwell. So yeah, it's not a very good answer to your question, I'm afraid, but I would have to say that I would need more than just the food section to edit. <laughs> but I think that's a fantastic point. You know, you can't just treat the sort of food chapter of your life as an isolated system. Yeah. You know, it, it interacts with, you know, I guess that's what your nutritional practice is all about, how things are interacting with all of the areas of your life. Yeah, massively. And and it's as much lifestyle medicine as it is, you know, dietary, dietary intervention, I guess. Hmm. Fantastic answer. If you were in in government and you could ban one food <laughs> You had the deciding vote. Which one would you ban? Mm, sugar. Sugar. Yeah. Clear choice. Yeah. Clear choice, I'm afraid. Process, you know, processed sugar. Mm. And you alluded to it earlier on in the podcast. You had your own health issues. And I'm assuming at some points you must have felt quite stuck. Do you have any mindset advice for other people who might be experiencing health issues that at the moment you know maybe they're feeling like there's no way out yeah definitely um and i think it's so great that you've thought about that because mindset is so important in any healing journey so you know for me personally it was i was just really struggling and really struggling and i really wasn't getting anywhere not making any progress despite kind of trying to do everything i could um and it was only when my Chinese doctor said, he said to me that, you know, you have to believe that your body can heal and then slowly it will. So, you know, that really changed everything for me. And I think it's really good advice for anyone that's struggling with a chronic condition, you know, trust that you can get there, be confident in the ability of your body to heal itself. And then changes will really start to happen because again, it's, you know, it's that signaling to the brain. If you get that right, you know, decrease the stress and, and, and get into a better mind state, then, you know, actual physical healing will start to happen as well. Mm, absolutely. And I think we all too often just underestimate the power that mindset can have in making a difference to your condition. Just mm -hmm. a positive outlook can make you feel so much better in itself. It's almost like you're plugging yourself into the placebo effect. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's a great way of, of explaining it. I couldn't put it better myself. Mm. And so we talked about the current food system. What do you think our diets are going to look like in, say, 10 years time? Um, I, gosh, I don't know. I think things are changing at such a fast pace. But what I would hope for them to look like is, you know, 
basically what we are programmed to eat as humans and have been eating for hundreds and hundreds of years. So, you know, that's largely what we can grow in this country. Um, so I would hope that it's still quality sources of protein. I would hope that it's still, you know, fish and seafood because we are an island after all. Um, and a lot of us live on the coast. Um, I would hope that it's mm. still dense vegetables and that our topsoil hasn't eroded to an extent that we, you know, can't grow good quality veg. Um, and yeah, I would hope as well that, you know, with the knowledge coming out now that processed foods are bad for us, that we actually see a decline in, in that. Um, so, you know, things that come in a packet with ingredients that you can't pronounce. Um, I think it will take a lot for us to get there, but if I could wish, then that would be it. I think that's a fantastic vision of the future. I hope I hope we make it there. Yeah. <laughs> um, if someone has been listening to the, the conversation that we've been having and has been inspired by you from this podcast, how can they turn the, the inspiration into action uh, to start to better their health? Do you have any sort of first steps um, that people could use in terms of uh, diet and maybe holistic health? Yeah, I mean, there's some resources on my website. Um, there's an ebook that I put out at the beginning of January this year called The Seven Day Reset. And it's a collection of recipes and lifestyle advice to get you back on the right track if you've been kind of falling off the wagon. So that's always a good place to start. Um, if anyone has any kind of serious health concerns that they want to talk to me about, whether it's kind of gut health related or hormonal or allergies, food intolerances, um, then again, book in to see me via my website. Um, and if you're just interested to learn more, then I guess Instagram is a, is a good place, but kind of I'm moving slightly away from Instagram as a place to educate and I'm kind of focusing all of my energies on Patreon which is a really cool thing I recently discovered um, it's a platform where subscribers um, give a small contribution each month to me and in um, in exchange I send out weekly blog health focused blog posts recipes um, I do live breathwork sessions because I'm also a breathwork um, coach and you know live q a's and all of that kind of thing too so i'm growing the community on patreon and i really hope that it becomes a real hub for people that just want to optimize their life basically um through lifestyle diet uh, mental health all of that good stuff so yeah hopefully that gives people some some good touch points um with which to yeah start their journey yeah and that's a fantastic way for you to connect with your audience as well because the the patreon model allows people who are really focused on your work to you know contribute directly to keep keep you going but also you're giving much more specialist content to those people as well yeah exactly i mean i i get so fed up with instagram and i most of the time just can't be bothered to put kind of condense all my thoughts into an instagram caption but patreon's a bit longer format so it's fantastic for that but then another thing that i had totally forgotten is um that i also have a podcast and i think i'm up to kind of episode 55 now and each episode is um an interview with kind of like what we're doing now with someone in the health and wellness space or the sustainability space or mental health um psychotherapy so there's so much content on there other nutritional therapists and functional medicine practitioners as well so um, it's called, the podcast is called State of Mind, quite similar to, <laughs> quite similar to Second Mind. But um, <laughs> yeah, you can find that on the uh, podcast app from Apple or on Spotify as well. So another good place to listen in and learn some nuggets of information. Well, you've been doing a fantastic job with that. I've been listening to a few over the last few days and uh, I've been really enjoying that the, the yeah, th those nuggets that have been coming through spanning way past just nutrition, going into areas of sustainability and mindset and uh, and healing and just basically being able to thrive with the planet as well. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you, Tom. <laughs> no problem. Um, if you had a phone call with a 20-year-old version of Grace, what would you say to her? Oh, I need to think where I was at 20. I guess I was sort of maybe final year at university or about to be um mm. i don't know because i think 
often looking back is quite a bad thing to do. I mean, I was, um, I was incredibly unwell at that age. And in fact, I had a quite a major operation in hospital, I think the year after when I was 21 and life for me after that was quite hard, um, from a mental perspective. And I guess so I would just sort of say it's going to be okay and it will, things will work out and yeah, just kind of keep doing what you're doing. You'll, you know, you'll get there. I think time is, is an amazing thing, isn't it? perspective is is also just mm. so valuable so probably just words of encouragement i guess yeah and i think oh and also you know, stop l- eating so much uh so many gluten-free hot cross buns because i had a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of an addiction for those at university and i don't think it did me any favors <laughs> we're only human though sometimes it's hard to resist the treats <laughs> it is yeah it is <laughs> um what would you say if you could pick a single thing that's made the biggest impact on your health and well-being, what what is that? Um, I think it's just I don't know. That's a very difficult question. Um, or just pick a, a a couple of things if it's hard to narrow it down to just one. Yeah, I guess knowledge and understanding of how my body works, um, and. I guess also le- a big thing for me is having learned to not rely so much on food as an emotional support. You know, we spoke about this earlier, mm. but I, um, and again, with the hot cross bun thing at university, I, I was constantly tired growing up and I overate all the time. Um, and it was always the really heavy carby foods because I was lacking in energy and it didn't do me any favors. And I had, you know, I never had an unhealthy relationship with food in the sense that I, you know, was underweight, you know, quite, I just, I, I sort of just assumed that food was the answer to all my problems. And actually having learned over the last few years that I can go 24 hours without food if I want to, or I can, you know, even go longer, you know, do an extended fast and how good I feel when I do that has been quite a powerful tool for me to regain a bit of um perspective around uh you know what food means to me so yeah yeah i think that's really powerful um before i ask the last question of the podcast i know you mentioned before about your instagram and you mentioned uh, state of mind your patreon are there any upcoming projects um, or any other ways to connect with you that you'd like to um, share with the people out there well i think it's quite it's quite difficult in times of corona isn't it because i can't um see anyone physically or you know plan any events um there was a couple of things i was supposed to be speaking at in london but sadly they've all been cancelled um Mm. so i guess for the time being it's it's you know the digital space and patreon for me is quite new and i'm putting a lot of time and energy into that so i guess if you are keen to learn more and engage, then that is where to go. But also Instagram, um, I'm just at Grace Kingswell. Um, and I always post about my podcast and stuff on there if I've recorded an episode. So yeah, in terms of big projects in the pipeline, not many really. Um, we're in the middle of a house move, my husband and I. So I'll be starting a new life in Cornwall in a few weeks time and getting stuck into some home DIY. <laughs> so it's going to be taking up my attention for the time being. Lots to look forward to. You're going to yeah. be the next handyman around the house. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. And as the last question today, if uh, I gave you a magic wand and to wave that wand, you would influence everybody in the world to take on one new daily habit. Mm. And as you're a nutritional therapist, I'll add on one food that they would eat, mm. that they would eat every day. Uh, what would those things be? So the habit would have to be um, some form of practice that puts you into a parasympathetic state. So your rest and digest zone, that's where you know, stress can melt away and healing can really happen. And all too often in 21st century life, we are go, go, go all the time. You know, we're constantly in fight or flight. And we never really access that very, very important parasympathetic state. So whether, you know, Mm. and that looks different for everyone because not everyone is going to be able to meditate or do yoga or, you know, 
go on for five minutes. So even if that's, you know, looking up some breathwork techniques, even if that's, you know, dancing in the living room to your favorite track, you know, whatever it is that gets you into that relaxed zone, that would be it, do it. Um, and in terms of the food, I don't know. Um, so probably some form of dark leafy green vegetable. <laughs> which is very predictable but um yeah i think that that ticks everyone's boxes whether you're plant-based or on the carnival well no it wouldn't work if you're on the carnival diet but if you're omnivorous or you're plant-based or you're veggie or vegan yeah everyone needs to be eating their leafy veg so yeah something dark and green and leafy i think we could all do some more greens in our life yeah i can never never have enough enough. yeah totally wicked advice uh well grace Thank you so much for spending time with me on the podcast today. Thanks, Tom. And I'm sorry that it's, um, well, maybe the listeners won't, won't glean this from the episode, but we've had a lot of technical difficulties today. So I'm very sorry about that. We'll splice it all together. The gold is still in there. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to patch all the gold together. Um, awesome. but, but yeah, Grace, it's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for spending the time. Thanks, Tom. Bye. Okay, that's all for today. Thank you so much to all the listeners out there for joining us for the podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation and you'd like to share it with people in your circles, please do because it helps get our message out to more people. And also like and subscribe to show your support. Uh, We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the episode and of the Second Mind podcast, so please do leave comments. Until next time though, stay true.